Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I want you to think about a time where you did something and uh, maybe you were wanting to be noticed why you did this thing, to be recognised. Maybe it was for a particular person to notice you, like your boss or your tutor, a friend. But the root of why you were either doing this charitable thing, making that joke, offering to lend a hand, was for that person to see it happen. And it's a bit of an embarrassing thing to admit, but I reckon I can guarantee that we've all been in that situation at some point in our lives, or many points for myself. Uh, for example, when I was at the age of about 12, I was at some sort of church family get-together in a park somewhere, and there was uh, a particular other 12-year-old boy there that I wanted to notice me. And uh, there was, I remember there was like a football match kind of happening, um, like, which was ranging from people like age 2 to 30 playing this football match. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start playing. I'll start playing. With no football skills whatsoever. I was like, I'll go run along, play this match. And uh, yeah, my incentive for playing it was purely to get the attention of this one prepubescent 12-year-old boy. Um, (laughs) So I finally get the ball, and lo and behold, I'm near the goal. And I'm like, this is my moment. He'll see me score, and he'll notice me. And let me tell you, he noticed me. The entire football match and church noticed me, and uh, sadly it wasn't for scoring the goal. Um, As I went to kick the ball, aiming for the goal, very close, some weird kind of physics thing happened where instead of it going straight forward, it veered 90-degree angle to the right, hit an unexpecting two-year-old, knocked her to the ground. Yeah. So it was a complete knockout. She didn't get up for a few seconds. And uh, she was crying. I was crying internally. And my plan epically failed. I had wanted the attention and acknowledgement of this one person, but I'd completely backfired and I'd received the attention not in the way that I had planned or hoped at all. Uh, But, you know, we live on. And uh, we as humans, we love to be noticed. Maybe it's for a skill set that we have or the work we do. Often the recognition and admiration can become sometimes a motivation for us. Earthly recognition, it can feed us, but ultimately it doesn't fill us. And then this brings up questions like, what happens when we do the work and I don't receive recognition of it from my, like, you know, my peers around me? How does that make us feel then? So today we're going to be unpacking some of these questions, and so I've called this preach for an audience of one. So yeah, as I said, if you've been with us, you know we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount found in the book of Matthew in the New Testament, and the Sermon on the Mount is basically Jesus' blueprint on how to live for God, and it's probably the most like memorable sermon to ever exist. And through this series, we've gone over what it means to be blessed, how to deal with anger, lust, how to be true to our word, and how to love our enemies. And today we see Jesus take the narrative one step further. So we're going to be reading, if you've got your Bible with you, or it'll appear on the screen behind me, we're going to be reading from Matthew 6, verse 1 to 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. 
then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'm just going to quickly pray before we get stuck in. Yeah, Lord, I thank you for um, this passage. I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, Lord. I pray that you will be speaking to us through these verses this morning, Lord. Would your Holy Spirit be present in this room, Lord, be challenging us, be encouraging us, Jesus. Amen. So yeah, Jesus over the past few passages has set the standard. And even last week, we saw chapter 5 finish with verse 48. It says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So perfection. He's requiring quite a lot of us. It's quite a high standard. But then we see with this passage, Jesus has already, almost already anticipated our kind of fragile human nature. That actually, if we maintain these righteous standards that he set, the next thing to creep in is pride and self-exaltation. Hey, look at me, I've reached the standard. Who's noticing? It's a very easy kind of slip to make. He's now saying, do all these things, but be careful when you do all these good things that you're not doing them for earthly praise. So I'm going to look at this passage from three different angles. So the first one is what Jesus isn't saying, what he is saying, and what it says about us. So firstly, what Jesus isn't saying. He's not saying, don't do good works. Just earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus say, chapter 5, verse 16, he says, let your light shine before men. And at first glance, you could think, Jesus is contradicting himself. He's saying, let your light shine behind men, but don't do good works for other people to see. But Jesus is one step ahead. He knows the way of man. He's saying, be seen to be doing good things. That glorifies the Father, but we mustn't be doing good things with a purpose to be seen. It's our heart's motive when giving to the poor that Jesus cares about. And we know Jesus' heart is so for the poor. He spends breadths of his time with the poor, speaking about the poor, healing and serving the poor. And as we saw at the beginning of this series, not just the physically lacking, but also those who are poor in spirit. In fact, I think the way that Jesus speaks about the poor in this passage is almost assuming that if our hearts align with his, we also will be passionate about serving those in need. So instead of this passage being about encouraging us in that and stating the importance of it, actually in this passage, he simply says, like, when you give to the needy. He's assuming that we're already doing it, which is a challenge in itself. How are we stewarding our money? Here at CCM, we do two give bigs a year, and they're an offering basically that we all kind of come together as different sites, and uh, we give money. The first one is for the church and the wider church in Manchester, and further afield. And the second one that will be this November is, goes completely 100% to the poor. And this is a kind of a time where Tim throws out in faith a mad number, about 50,000 or something, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we'll manage to give that much. And then we smash it every time because God is good, people are generous, and uh, it's amazing what happens through this money. We see people on our doorstep in the Oasis Center having life-changing consequences. We see Children in the Kurdish region of Iraq receive money with a charity that we work with out there, and also friends in Uganda who operate a hospital that have received medical equipment. My point here is Jesus isn't speaking about the importance of giving to the poor in this passage. We all know the benefits that is giving to these people. As he often is, Jesus is concerned about our heart's posture when we're giving, when we're doing these good works. Who does our work glorify? Does it glorify him or does it glorify ourselves? In Mark 12, Jesus also touches on this when he sat in the temple watching the crowds put their money into the treasury. He says, 
Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You can just imagine in this scenario, kind of the rich like sauntering in, and then Jesus used the term, like they threw their money in, kind of displaying how much they were giving, and as it kind of maybe falls into like a metal, metal bowl, it's kind of clangering and making a big sound. And then you see this widow come in, and instead of drawing attention to herself, she quietly comes in, places silently her two coins in the bowl, announcing that, well, not announcing, sorry, I read a little bit of my point. <laughs> um, without sound or without attention, that was what I was supposed to say. <laughs> yeah, he says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. The widow's offering bore more value because she was quietly, without the need for acclamation, giving from her heart. And the world will often tell us that the good thing we've done didn't reach completion until it was rewarded or recognised or appreciated. I remember donating to a friend's Just Giving page years ago, and as soon as I donated, a screen came up saying, share with your friends on social media, that you donated to Sarah's Princess Trust head shave, something like that. It was that time. And firstly, no, that would be embarrassing, because I only donated £5. And secondly, that's not why I donated. (laughs) And it's... It's basically the internet is even telling me, share it, or it didn't happen. But I literally feel that that could be the tagline for all social media, share it, or it didn't happen. And in part, Just Giving were, they were trying to promote Sarah's sponsored head shave to then further donations. But they were also doing this by using the fragile human desire to boast about our good deeds to everyone in our social network. In that moment, with my £5, I was trying to build up my friend and what she was doing, and put the spotlight on her. But the internet was telling me, go on, take some of the glory for yourself. But it's so tempting, isn't it, when we do something good to just want that little seal of social approval around us. But Jesus is very clear in this passage that if it's social approval that we're chasing after, then social approval is the only thing we will get. Which leads me to my next point, what Jesus is saying. So verse 2 So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, we get the word hypocrite from the original Greek word hypocrites. I had to Google that. Um, I listened to the soundbite quite a few times. And uh, today we might associate the word with maybe a politician caught in scandal or a religious leader with a hidden life. But actually at the time of Jesus, a hypocrite meant an actor or a stage player. Your mind doesn't hear the word hypocrite and go, oh yes, the theatre. But the actors in ancient Greek theatre would wear large masks to hide their faces, basically, and they would mark the characters that they were playing. And then cut to today, and instead of those masks being physical, we can interpret them as being figurative. A person pretending to be someone or something that they're not. And Jesus often uses the word hypocrites within the Bible, and more often than not, he's talking about the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were a religious group that opposed Jesus because they wanted to maintain their own power by strictly following and reinforcing religious laws, and laws that Jesus had come to redeem. 
But they were also very powerful, popular, and they had influence. But they were caught up in matters of religion and ignored matters of the heart. So actually, later on in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 23, we see Jesus extensively call out the Pharisees on their religious acts. They're so more about the gold of the temple than the temple itself, or about ruminating on giving a tenth of your spices rather than worrying and kind of being concerned with justice and mercy and faithfulness. And it's a pretty jam-packed passage that in lengthy ways details how the Pharisees were incredibly hypocritical, like with evident examples as well. And while what was going on with the Pharisees was a heart issue at the core, the evidence of it was pretty obvious to all of those around them as well. They were leading people astray, focusing on the wrong things and hammering home religious matters. But actually, the hypocrisy that Jesus is talking about in this passage is actually, it's completely different. The hypocrisy that Jesus speaks of here, as he spoke of, like giving to the poor, it's a good thing. You know, Jesus isn't calling out people who are leading those away from the truth or leading people astray or pretending to give to the poor, but actually lying about it. He's talking about the motive of that good work. What Jesus is talking about here is so subtle that actually he's getting to the core of why we do what we do. This might look like why we serve in church, maybe why we bring something during a service, why we help people, and even why we give to those in need. This is about the underlying heart motivation, and the only people who truly know your heart, despite what pop culture and countless love songs will tell you, the only people who know your heart, your drive, innately why you do the things you do, is yourself and God. So therefore, the only way that we can be challenged or called out by this hypocrisy is by a work of the Holy Spirit within us. God has to call us out on it because it's so subtle. Others, they won't see it. They won't know about it because outwardly, it actually looks like the healthy life of a God-following believer. It's only something we can question ourselves. Where does my motive come from? Why am I doing it? Am I doing it for earthly reward If that is the case, Jesus says very directly, if it's ultimately for earthly reward, earthly praise, and the sound of applause that you do this, then that is the only reward you will receive. Who are we performing our righteousness for? Do we prioritise earthly praise above recognition from our Father in heaven? The theological columnist Philip Holmes says this about this passage. He says, the point of the passage is that our righteousness should be performed finally for an audience of one, for the pleasure of of one. Why Jesus understands that our deepest source of joy is also our truest object of worship. If you want to uncover who or what a person worships, look no further than his source of joy. Where are we placing our worship this morning? Are we performing for the audience of many or the audience of one? Verse 3 says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, I'm not really logistically sure how you do something with your like, left hand while your right hand doesn't know. I like, had a joke about putting a sling on it and, or something like a piano. Well, I, yeah, I wasn't really doing that. My dad suggested that one. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> but Jesus often, in the next few passages speaks about how we hold ourselves when we're giving, praying, and then also fasting. And there's a real emphasis on how it's not done for the observer, but to keep it to yourself, not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 
And I actually, I remember as a teenager, my family and I had decided that we were going to fast for a day um, to just pray for some of the situations in our lives that we wanted to see God break through in. And that day, I didn't take my lunch to school. And I remember getting to about midday, sitting down in the canteen with my friends, and um, obviously they asked me, where's your lunch? And uh, I'd read this passage later on in Matthew about when you fast, don't draw attention to it, so it's not obvious that you're fasting, only your Father in heaven knows. And so I'd taken this as, you cannot tell a single soul that you are fasting, you have to keep that completely to yourself. So instead, when they asked me where my lunch was, I lied and said I forgot it, um, to which they did what any hopefully good friend would do and started passing me food from their own lunch so that I would have food. So the whole thing completely backfired. And then I tried to explain that I actually lied about forgetting my lunch, bad, and uh, I was actually fasting, but I wasn't allowed to tell anyone. Which, again, explaining it to people who weren't Christians just wasn't straightforward. I think one of my friends, looked, like, they, were, they all looked at me like, eh? And then one of them was like, oh, I've heard fasting's good for weight loss. And I was like, yes, no, that's not why I'm doing it. But, but cool. So I'd lied, confused my friends, and on top of that, I'd completely missed the point of these verses. If people found out I was fasting, it didn't matter. If my motive for fasting was for people to find out, that's where the problem lies. And it's the same with these verses about giving. Jesus talks about a reward from our Father in heaven for those who give in secret. If someone finds out that we've secretly given, do we then lose our reward? That's not what he's saying. The issue is with our motive. If we're giving for our own glory, we will feel empty if we don't uh, receive the reward we feel that we've earned. And on top of that, there'll be no reward from our Father. But if we give, serve, work for God's glory, it doesn't matter if no one finds out because we weren't doing it for their recognition. And it also doesn't matter if someone does find out because our motive still wasn't for their recognition. It reminds me of the old hymn that we often sing here at CCM called Be Thou My Vision. And in one of the later verses, it says, I don't want riches or man's empty praise. You're my inheritance now and always. You and you only, the first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure you are. And actually later on in Matthew 6, Jesus challenges us on where we truly find our treasure. And the message translation says this, it says, Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths, encroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will also want to be and end up being. If we live for the praise and affirmation of man, that will be our most treasured thing. So lastly, what does this passage say about us? So it's inbuilt in us to want to to be noticed, or even from the age of a small child, we have a desire to be seen. If you think of a newborn baby... Um, they cry loudly for their parents' attention and often for many hours as well. And actually, I went to see my niece earlier this week, Rosie, and uh, she's about three. And when I arrived at the house, before I'd even seen her face, I hear like, Auntie B, Auntie B, look. And I looked around and instead of seeing her, I just saw a toy like right in my face because she was just so intent on showing me this like pink plastic thing. I'm not really sure what it was. Um, But whenever I see my nephews or niece, they're always so eager to show me something they've made, a new card trick they can do, or sometimes with three-year-old Rosie, it's as basic as that she now knows how to star jump. And there's something really beautiful and simple about this desire in them to be noticed by someone 
they love and to receive praise and to feel affirmed by that person. So even when she does something as, let's be honest, basic as a star jump, I'm there like, oh my goodness, do it again. And then, you know, Olympic medal, come on, girl. And this kind of goes back and forth. She just keeps doing it and I keep praising her. And it's a really beautiful interaction of love. And Jesus' point in this passage can often be misunderstood to assume that that want, that need for praise, is wrong. That Jesus is condemning our intrinsic desire to be seen and affirmed. But he doesn't want to suppress this desire, but instead he wants to encourage it and redirect it. You've probably heard the phrase, looking for love in all the wrong places. But we can apply the same principle here, looking for affirmation in all the wrong places. And mostly, most likely, those of us who struggle most with this, you didn't receive affirmation in your early years. Maybe a parental figure, whether they were biological or not, didn't recognise you in the way that they should have. And out of a desire to be seen, recognised or affirmed, it's much easier to now look for these things through our work, relationships or even social media. Somewhere along the way, the audience changed from wanting recognition from that parental figure to wanting recognition from that social group, that tutor, that boss, those followers on the end of your phone. The audience has changed and the desire has been misdirected. And Jesus wants us to redirect that desire to the audience of the one, to the audience of the father. Because the validation and affirmation that comes from our Father in heaven far outweighs any validation we could possibly receive on earth. And we see this even in the life of Jesus. God's acceptance of him came before he'd even started his ministry. Before he even went to the cross and gave his life for us. In Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus baptised and as he comes up out of the water says, at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And actually, if we look at it through the life of Jesus, despite his wondrous miracles, kindness and love, he was often met with backlash and abuse and jeers rather than applause and praise. But he knew ultimately his work was for the father. The Bible, the Gospels, they all contain the good works of Jesus that the disciples knew about, that they saw, there was an account, they wrote down. And it just, as I was preparing this passage the last week, it made me think, what about the ones that only the Father saw that weren't written down? The ones that didn't get put into the Bible? The good works that Jesus did maybe before his ministry started, maybe when he was 15, 16, 18, 21, The good works that Jesus did that were purely for the audience of his father. Are we also living like this? I would love to challenge us this morning. What can we do in secret this week that will glorify our father in heaven? I also want to encourage us to redirect our desire to be seen, our need for affirmation to the one who can give it to us abundantly. The work that we do, the time we give, our offering, ultimately it's for the audience of the one not the applause of many. And there is so much freedom to be found when we tap into this and realign ourselves to be living to please and glorify God, not man.